Welcome to episode number 318 of Destination Linux. Destination Linux is a video podcast from the Tux Digital Network. If you're new to the show, Destination Linux is a podcast perfect for all experience levels. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Ryan and I'm currently homeless. So if you're wondering why my setup is all different, it's because I'm in transition to another state right now. So the audio might not be as good. The video is not as good, but I'm here and that's what matters. And that's also matters. here with me is mm-hmm. Michael and and Jill. On this week's episode of Destination <laughs> Linux, we'll be discussing server repatriation. Then we're going to be discussing your next laptop. Ooh, You're going to get this fun. one. It's going to be that exciting. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All of this coming up right now on Destination Linux. This week in our community feedback, we have feedback from Cubicle Nate. And if you want to send in your own feedback, you can go to tuxdigital.com contact to get in touch and send us an email or join our forum. We're also on Discord. Want to hang out, game with the community, chat about Linux, go to tuxdigital.com Discord. Now, Nate is a part of our network. In fact, he's a beloved part of our network. He not only hosts our virtual mm-hmm. Linux lug, uh-huh. Linux Saloon, but he's also a host on the popular podcast, Linux Out Loud. Now, Nate gave us some feedback on our home automation episode which I felt really good about, Michael and Jill, when Nate uh, replied that he really liked. Yes. Yeah, that we actually gave it, did justice to the topic. I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah. So when he did that and we realized that we had justice for the topic, that means something because Nate's entire home is like fully automated. So he said this, I'm listening to DL right now. And I'm a home assistant nut. Quite literally, everything except four switches on my property have Tasmodo-powered ESP32 based switches, which I instantly knew what he meant. Of course. I Of course. I only use uh, Tasmodo-powered ESP32 based switches myself. It's the best. It's the only option to go with. (laughs) It's the only option to go with. Totally. Uh, Thankfully, he sent pictures of what those were. Yes. I knew. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, He went on to say, I also can monitor my 3D printer, get a video feed and so forth. So this was an interesting use case of a 3D printer. I think in the episode I was mentioning like, hey, you could, you know, send prints to your printer. And Michael's like, that doesn't sound like that would be such a great idea. But Nate's idea actually is, in fact, a great idea, which would be to have a webcam. I've seen people set up or other things where you have a camera to be able to see what's being printed remotely. Yeah, it takes a while for these re- these prints to happen. So it makes sense to have like yeah. a monitor to tell you when it's done. You know? Yeah, it's kind of like get cool footage of the progress. Like, I don't know about you, but watching oh, a 3D cool. printer print. Like I could sit there for two hours just watching yeah. it do each of the little yeah. threads of plastic. It's fascinating. And you could do a time lapse where you can speed it up. That'd be cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so he goes on to say they've created virtual three-way switches with power of Home Assistant, and the automation options are wonderful with this tool. Even my chicken coop, which is his bird barn, has these switches. I want to be able to remotely mess with my birds. He was joking. Yeah. He doesn't really remotely mess with them, but he can monitor his birds in his chicken coop, which is really cool through the home yeah. automation. And then he put some screenshots up that Michael will probably put in post-editing, so you might want to see the they video of this yes. because they're quite amazing. Well, I've heard a Cubicle uh, talk about um, his home automation before on Linux Out Loud and uh, Linux Saloon. But, it, it, you know, I think it's just so awesome that he not only uses Home Assistant for, you know, the more common tasks, like watching his 3D pr- printer. Arguably, that is not <laughs> very common, <laughs> but he uses it for that task. But I think it's really cool that he uses it to watch and or stimulate his chickens. <laughs> right. I mean, he's got, a, he's got a farm. You don't have to go out there and be yeah. uh, Ronald or Farmer McDonald. It's not Ronald McDonald. Yeah. You don't have to be <laughs> Farmer awesome. McDonald. <laughs> And get out there. You could wake up at 4 a.m., hit an automated thing that drops food down, maybe. Nate, that could be your next idea. Uh, And you never have to leave the comfort of your home to be a farmer. Maybe even an automated rake would be the next thing. And it's nice to see if, like, you know, um, a predator gets in in the barn, you know, and hurts his chickens. And then he can track it and help defend his chickens. (laughs) He's not going to be able to defend the chickens from that because they have the ability to go invisible. Yeah. Oh, okay. Predator. So have, a, have a cloak. <laughs> Michael, please, please. This You're is welcome, hardware people. addicts. You're welcome. More people. dad jokes. 
<laughs> so uh, another thing I wanted to, to say about Nay, you know, he does an awesome Christmas light show tying with music on his house every oh, yeah, year using cool. open source automation. Him using Home Assistant, you know, doesn't does not surprise me at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he does, and he usually puts a video out about his um, light yeah. show that he puts on and everything. And I'm so happy that he got the advice from me to use the Tosmoto powered ESP32 based switches, right? Because that's because, what you typically yeah. do, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, those are totally <laughs> my favorite, my faves, as I like to call them, and definitely recommend them. But we'll have some screenshots of this, and also. Uh, Nate has a blog out there where he talks about some of his automation, but literally his whole house from lights and switches. He's got timed automation in there so that certain lights turn off at certain times. He's got it all hooked up and it's all on his local network, which is really cool and much safer than having everything controlled out there over Wi-Fi. So definitely give a check out to that. Yeah, absolutely. And also something you want to check out is Linode because you can do some awesome automation on a server locally. However you want to do it, Linode can help you set up some uh, some awesome stuff. You can go to linode.com slash tux to get started. That's linode.com slash T-U-X and see why over a million developers trust Linode for their infrastructure. Linode provides solutions and services to accelerate innovation, whether you want to do it yourself or you want to use their one-click apps with a plethora of options they have in their app marketplace. We're going to talk about one of those in the uh, tip of the week this week so be sure to check that out and with this the marketplace you can deploy everything from plesk to wordpress and valheim and minecraft servers so you want to do some uh, website building or do you want to do some gaming all these options are available in the marketplace linode even has a vpn friendly virtual server so you can create and secure connections over the internet to protect you on public wi-fi so if you have to go to a coffee shop or you have to go to Farmer McDonald's house, you could do all of this stuff and you'd be protected with that VPN. And if that wasn't enough, every plan comes with Linode's amazing human-powered customer support. That's right, human-powered, which means they will pick up the phone and talk to you, respond to email that you send them, and respond to you on social media 24-7, 365, which is a super rare thing, not only in the tech world, but just in all industries these days. I was going to say, that's better than being friends with Michael. He rarely picks up the I, phone. Some, when Ryan calls me, I was like, oh, never mind. And then this was, but that's not what's going to happen with Linode. They'll actually answer the phone. So visit linode.com slash tux to create a free account. Plus, when you use that URL, you'll let them know that we sent you, which is good for us, but also good for you because they're going to give you a 60-day $100 free credit when you sign up at that account, linode.com slash tux. So again, go get started on Linode's awesome cloud platform by going to linode.com slash T-U-X. You know, Michael, uh, because you didn't pick up the phone, I'm going to just talk about what I wanted to talk to you about on the phone right here. Oh, that's going to backfire. Yes. So what I wanted to talk to you about is my kids have gotten big into Minecraft recently, and my Mm -hmm. daughter has created some really awesome things like that I'm impressed by. And I've been playing with Minecraft from the beginning. She's doing some really unique, cool structures and things. And I'm thinking we need a destination Linux Minecraft server to allow people to go in and play. And sure, oh, there will be somebody clown around and probably wreck the thing in a few months, but it would be fun just to spin up a Linode and let some of our people join, maybe patrons yeah. and things join the Minecraft yeah. thing. Because be it's one-click install, and we can have our own Minecraft server. And also, fun. I have never played Minecraft. That's oh my goodness, the great. saddest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Is it? That's pathetic. It's even, that's even worse than Lord of the Rings? It's right up there. It's like they're, they're <laughs> neck and neck with how sad these things are that I keep learning about my friend. Oh, oh my goodness. I played it before Microsoft took over. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I heard of it a long time ago. I just never, you know. Never played it. Moving on. Let's All right. Talk so I'm going to re- drop a Linode <laughs> server, but it actually fits with what we're talking about. So the cloud, Linode is part of the cloud, right? It's become a really powerful tool for many businesses. In the, in the industry I am in telecom, there's multiple moves of deciding to take major infrastructure and get it over to the cloud. And it allows, of course, people to spin up and scale applications with much more simplicity. All you need really is a credit card. You don't have to go buy these giant server racks and all of those things and have a ton of administrative. You can even pay the cloud services to do a lot of administrative tasks and things for you. And of course, all the automation and stuff. However, there's this new trend that the Ubuntu blog was recently discussing called cloud repatriation, which I thought was interesting enough because we've been talking the last few episodes about cloud and a lot of the stuff like dropping new cloud instances, even our Jitsi server now on Linode and things and how well it goes. But 
this concept is kind of a reversal, partly, in some of the trends that we've been seeing. The concept is businesses went to the cloud fully. Everybody was all about cloud. Everything's cloud. Cloud growth is $100 billion, trillion industry, blah, blah, blah. And then they realized it can be really expensive. Like it gets really expensive real fast. And you lose some of the control of your infrastructure as well. I mean, how many times do you hear, especially with AWS instances, and I'm not saying they're the only one, it's just the one I hear about a lot is AWS, where Somebody goes out there, leaves a password notepad file or something out on the server open, or they don't lock it down properly, and you lose that control of these instances, mostly because these are massive businesses that have massive amount of people working independently on different yeah. things. Sadly, that happens way too often. We've heard about people, uh, even people who are supposed to be like CTOs and whatever, letting their passwords easily accessible. And like that, that is ridiculous. Or having like a really crappy password where anybody can guess it. it's like on the top 100 list of don't do this. You know, that's even happened before. So, but I think the, the, the bigger thing is the amount of money that they are not aware how much this cloud systems are going to cost. And then they go all in and then they realize, Oh wait, we don't have this much money. So how do we address this? Yeah, and a lot of it's because, you know, there was this idea that, hey, we're going to move expenses from operating expenses to capital expenditures and things like that. So it's kind of a way of playing with the books a little bit for some of the companies to give them uh, a little bit more of a tax benefit, moving things to the cloud. But businesses are starting to realize, like Michael said, that this isn't all it was meant to be. It's still amazing. There's still amazing cloud services and there's still tons of advantages. But oh, yeah. Maybe the hybrid environment was the way to go. Instead of like everything being all cloud, maybe we should have our most private stuff and stuff, IP stuff for businesses that we don't want to get out there on stuff that we control. And then maybe some of the other stuff we put out there on the cloud. And that's really what this repatriation piece is about is saying, not get rid of the cloud. It's not going anywhere. And Linux yeah. powers the cloud. So therefore we love it. But maybe we should have kind of a hybrid environment going on instead of an mm -hmm. all or nothing. Uh, yeah. By the way, Michael, you mentioned passwords. And I just got to say, like, we give you a lot of crap for not updating and things. But the one thing Michael does, and he does it so well it's <laughs> annoying, is create the most gigantic, complex, ridiculous passwords in the world. It's you true. know that setting in Bitwarden where you can go to, like, I don't know, 64-character password yeah. with symbols, numbers? <laughs> That's Michael. He goes to the absolute max. And like every time we have a count that we're both working on. Sometimes it's worse. I'll take the max and then I'll do a max again and put them together. And then Ryan's oh. like, why did you do this to me? Yeah. <laughs> like that's just, what copy and paste is for. Just and miserable. then there are some times where you have to type it in and you can't do the copy paste thing. That, that, that backfires for me then. But otherwise, you know, having a good password is very important. So I might not update all the time or much at all. But I have crazy good passwords. Does have good passwords. Yeah. Does have good passwords. And you use two-factor authentication. <laughs> exactly. Speaking of words that we have a trouble pronouncing, words. Jill. <laughs> yes. For those keeping count of you know the words that I can't pronounce correctly, that was one for Jill. So it was one negative point there. <laughs> yeah, all right. Now, authentication. What? There we go. Yeah. I got it. I'll just check. I'll just test it myself. Two oh, FA. Yeah. yeah. The other thing tufa. is, though, the tufa. hybrid environment doesn't like a loofah, have to. But tufa. Can you stop so I can cough? <laughs> yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm leaving this in, by the way. Is the loofah the spongy thing that you use in the. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. What does that have to do with Linux, Michael? Because it's open source. Two FA, tufa. Loofah and tufa. <laughs> tufa, loofah. Yeah, yeah. You, you clean your, you clean your, your security with your tufa, and you clean your back with your loofah. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, everyone. So the interesting thing here is that you do not have to just go from a, a hybrid environment doesn't mean that you have to have your physical infrastructure there. What some people are looking at is creating a, a hybrid environment where you're using multiple cloud solutions, or in some cases, you're taking your most sensitive data and you're putting it in a private cloud instead of having one of these public cloud instances like AWS or Microsoft Azure or something like that, which are obviously much highly targeted and wanted from a hacker community and things like that, one of these public instances versus a private cloud. So 
that could be considered a hybrid environment too. It doesn't just have to be going back to that physical infrastructure. And it's really just about it, it moving away from having a sole reliance on a single provider because what's happened in the market is as more people have bought into this cloud infrastructure, AWS, Azure, and all this, the prices have shot up. There's less competition with these giant companies and things, and the prices are going up. And so you've got this big public hyperscaling cloud provider. And in fact, Wall Street Journal did a piece on this titled, CIOs Still Waiting for the Cloud Investment to Pay Off, was the title of the article. And there was an interesting quote from Dell's global chief technology officer where he said, I must have 10 conversations a week where CIOs were bemoaning that they had run out of money or blown their budgets from moving to the clouds infrastructure there. Mm. So I think this is very interesting, but we're not an enterprise podcast. We don't really talk a whole lot about enterprise stuff. That's what the pseudo shows for. So we're gonna let Brandon take over and talk from the enterprise standpoint. But the reason I wanted to talk about this repatriation is because it started making me think about my own home server setup and whether we should be looking at having people go into a hybrid environment or suggest people go into a hybrid environment or whether I, myself, do I want to go into a all cloud solution or do I want something where it's a public cloud slash private cloud solution uh, where I'm putting my information and data on there because there's tens of thousands of Linux users out there. You get into Linux, you get into open source. What's the first thing you want to do? You want to set up your own home server. Yeah. yeah. You want to, you want to do self-hosting all sorts of stuff. Like it, you just, it just, it, it gets under your skin until you start doing it. And you're like, okay, yeah, now I get it. Now I understand the value of self-hosting and there's no way to avoid that happening. If you think you can, but it, it's going to happen at some point. You're going to want to do some level of self-hosting, even if it's just like local self-hosting. You know, there's there's lots yeah. of different things you can do it with. So when I think about like our show and what we've done on this show, we kind of have a hybrid environment. But yeah, it's probably not. It wasn't planned to be that way as well as it could be. I mean, listen. Whoa, I'm whoa, whoa! What are you honest, talking about? Right? We, well, we were we were very organized and we we, we, we did everything. We fell into our our setup. Right, we have Linode powers a lot, so we have Linode services powering a lot of our right. infrastructure for right. our recording and going live and things like that, and for our patron rooms and stuff. Uh, we also have Nextcloud instance where we host some of our files and things. But me and Michael also keep a lot of stuff privately on our own computers and our own servers. Like I have a Synology NAS where a lot of my stuff gets backed up to, and none of that gets into the cloud at all. So yeah, we we kind of have true. a hybrid environment for also for some show. of it we kind of really don't have a choice. You know, there's some things that we don't want to put in the cloud because we understand that it will take a, a lot of space. Like every episode of DL that we do, I have the source files for all of it. So we have hundreds and hundreds of gigs of videos and stuff like that. And we can't really afford to put them on the thing on the cloud because then we're just going to be paying for a bunch of stuff that we may or may not use. We don't even know. Because sometimes we might go back and I'll take a piece here and there and put it in an, an episode, uh, you know, making it like bringing back an old joke or something like that for reference. But for the most part, we just have a lots of video just because we want to have that that data, you know, just in case. But we don't need to be paying uh, the cloud providers to have that data somewhere. So we kind of automatically have a hybrid in that approach, too. But there's, there's a lot of different tools and things that we use that make more sense in the local version and also stuff that makes more sense in the cloud-based stuff, like NextCloud. You would really not want to do that in a local thing. It makes more sense to do it in a, a virtual thing so everybody can get access to it, you know, depending, no, not regardless of where they are and that kind of thing. Well, you could set up NextCloud on a home instance if it was just for your personal use. Right, sure. Like I just for our business, it wouldn't yeah. make sense. Yeah, that's what I meant. It would make sense mostly being in the cloud so that we can all have access to the files that we need to. Yeah, and I think it's cool that we we uh, you know have our WebRTC Jitsi instance in, in on Linode because uh, that's a good test on on how well the cloud can actually work for doing audio and video. Oh yeah, it's, it's really good. Well, I mean, Michael, you bring up an interesting point because this is kind of the real contention here. As a home user, I need to manage massive amounts of data. 
you know, these aren't just docks and things like that. And the more these devices get advanced, the more this becomes a problem. We kind of touched on this in our New Year's resolution things we want to do as well. But photos, music, movies, documents, receipts, invoices, all those things. Really, the photos, music, and movies take up some of the mount biggest yeah. amounts of space yeah. Uh, yeah. for a server. So if you were to look at putting that into a cloud, even Linode, who has some of the best prices out there for a cloud service, it would really get out of control really fast to try to store all of that data there. And the other side, though, is if you set up a home server, it could cost hundreds of dollars in initial equipment costs. So you've got to factor yeah. that yeah. in. True. Plus, you have maintenance costs and electricity and heat generation. I know when I <laughs> yes. got all into Linux and started having some Blade, old Blade servers I bought, and then I got my first electric bill, I shut them off real fast. <laughs> I see yes. quotes and stuff of people saying like, oh, it'll just add $10 a month to your electric bill. I don't know. Maybe I just had the most power hungry server in the world, but it was more like $100 a month was yeah. added to my electric bill. <laughs> Ryan, I so know what you're talking about and I, I hear you. Um, I actually still use my Digital Equipment Corporation's alpha server to <laughs> back up large animation files and important documents, yeah. but I don't keep it running 24-7 because of the expense, and I just turn it on when I need to access those files. And like you were saying earlier, was the cloud-based solutions for files, which are often many terabytes in size, is extremely expensive. So right. it makes sense to keep that locally. But you can do it cheaper or use a NAS, <laughs> network sure. task storage, or you could set up a Raspberry Pi with a, a, a really nice uh, big hard drive in it. Yeah, there's yeah. plenty of ways to do that are, that are not excessive. You can do it in a... You know, with an external drive, like, like a Raspberry Pi, like Jill said, there's also you could do a NAS and you could, you don't have to do like a high end, like a super expensive NAS. You could do like an entry level NAS and then you could yeah. easily, you know, swap drives in and out. That's one of the things I like about NAS support, uh, the solution for a NAS is to be able to take the drives in and out and be able to have like multiple copies and backups. And then you could also, you know, put all your files on those drives and then move those drives somewhere else so you have another backup that just in case, like, something bad happens at, like, a fire or something. Like, yeah. that... Well, that's that, what I wanted absolutely. to talk about because this, you know, when you have a home server, this is a real issue. You've got natural disasters that are, you know, especially here in the United States, have been all over the news recently, tornadoes, things like that, that mm -hmm. could completely destroy everything that you're keeping and saying, oh, this is my most important stuff. And I don't want other people to necessarily access this or I can't afford to put this in the cloud right now. But that stuff can be gone from a natural disaster, fire, theft. In my case, right, why I'm here in this weird room that nobody's ever seen is because I'm in the middle of a move. And all of my stuff, including my NAS and everything, are sitting on a truck headed to a destination, right? It would be very easy for something like that to get stolen or broken beyond the ability to repair. And so all of those most important files in that instance are gone. Now, in the cloud solution, generally, most cloud services have multiple locations and redundant backup systems and things. If don't, you probably want to find one that does. So you're a lot less susceptible to that type of thing. And I think this is really important for people to consider in their home solutions, because if you're just using physical media to back things up and you don't have another location to put your media in things, this could be a big oh, problem. Yeah. I've, I've heard of people setting things up at their parents' house or really close friends' house where they yes. have kind of a duplicate backup system that's going there. So they're, they're kind of doing this hybrid environment where their local NAS will feed to another NAS over the internet, of course, secured and encrypted to somebody else's NAS, and they're kind of backing each other up, which gives you a little bit more redundancy, which is an interesting option. Yeah, and we've talked about so many times here on Destination Linux, the importance of always having at least three backups of everything, um, being local, in the cloud, and stored in an off-site location. I actually have a lot of my important files stored at my brother's house, you know, across town, you know, just in case. Yeah, just in case. I <laughs> mean, that's yeah. the best solution. And, and there's also like the case of people thinking about, are we saying that you shouldn't have your most important stuff in the cloud? And you could totally do that. It just depends on yeah. how you do it. You don't want to have like your most important stuff in plain text format on the cloud because it doesn't matter where those drives are. That you, you really just want to have encryption. And if you have anything that you want to put up that is super important, encrypt it first and then put it up. And then you should be good to go no, no matter what. Yeah. And well, even if it, that's what I want to bring up for a second. Hmm. So surprise, I didn't put this in the show notes, Jill or Michael, but this came up this week. So oh. a company called Celebrite 
is claiming that they have the ability to break the encryption and things even as encrypted as Signal, for instance. And in fact, there are certain journalists and other things who have gotten their devices through Signal hacked through this Celebrite. So their messages and things were translated between Fun the two. times. So <laughs> the, the question is, we talk about on the show a lot that encryption, encryption, encryption. And of course, in these instances I'm talking about, these are people who are targeted specifically from governments. There's a particular app, whether you're on iPhone or Android, that used to require a link that you would click from an Israeli company that created this. Um, and you would click this link and then they would basically have all this access into your encryption codes and things like that and could read everything on your phone. Well, supposedly this new version doesn't even require you to click a link. They just need your phone number. And all of your encryption and everything is essentially broken. And this kind of goes into some of our conversations we've had about AI and chat GPT and machine learning and all of these things coming together in which you have to start asking asking yourself this really real question, at least I'm asking myself this question, I'm really interested what our community thinks about this, of like, is there really such a thing as being able to keep your data perfectly secure out of prying eyes anymore? Because yes, this app right now is for targeted people, but we all know this stuff gets out into the wild. And then does it really matter at this point if I'm using Google Cloud to store all my personal stuff and Google has access to it and so does the government, Versus Mega NZ, which or, or Tesserat, which says that they, they have better encryption and things out there because either way, it's just going to get broken. I mean, it's an interesting question because the encryption thing, you could say that you, no one should ever claim that something is 100%, 100% secure yeah. or 100% encrypted or whatever because there's no guarantee because at some point in the future, they could create new technology that could you know, decrypt something that we thought was impossible to decrypt. And that's happened many times over the years. Or they'll find a flaw in the encryption algorithm and be able to break through it with a collision approach. And that's happened before too. So I don't think people should ever say like 100% encrypted for sure. But I do think that if you're going to put something on the cloud, you should still encrypt it anyway, rather than just assume yeah. you know that it mm -hmm. doesn't matter. Because there are people who would just oh, it doesn't matter, so they already have my information anyway, so I might as That's well. That's the thing. That's the argument I've always hated, right? I hate right. that argument so much. Uh -huh. But at the same time, you start to realize that these companies are so far ahead in this stuff, and you wonder, am I spending all of this extra time and accomplishing nothing? But I think still to this day, my guess would be that usually, if you're not specifically targeted, your encryption is going to help you from other less sophisticated attackers, yeah. whereas your more sophisticated attackers who are going to be targeting you specifically might be able to still find a way around it. So it's still a good idea, and I'm not trying to dissuade people, but I wasn't aware that they had gotten to the point that you don't even have to click anything. They just need a phone number and things like that. Yeah, that's um, weird. So to me, that type of stuff really tells me we really need to invest in, in, as a community in truly understanding and having the best encryption tools possible when we're talking about this stuff, because mm -hmm. this, this, the amount of sophistication the government's growing in and being able to get around this encryption is unparalleled. I don't think we've ever seen yeah. it before. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I mean, you actually said something that was interesting that uh, about the you might be in the um, the like just a big a lot of people being picked up on like a casual thing. So I was thinking maybe they're using the automated rake you were talking about that they can oh, just yeah. get picked up. Wow, nice whole, callback, Michael. Thanks, the automated thanks, rake. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, and, and the truth is, is just being online. I mean, there's no hundred percent guarantee on you know, your, your password's getting taken. Yeah. It's just part, it's just part of being on the internet. Yeah. And I think the the, we the that. <laughs> weird phrase that people say, is like, I'm, they already got my information Then I, why should I care? I think it should be the opposite of yeah. they, if they have your information, why give them more? You know? Yeah, exactly. Like they might exactly. have some, but you can, you can make sure they don't have everything, you know? Yeah. Well, I have a lock on my door, right? And this keeps most people out. Now, if you really wanted to get in my house and you had a sledgehammer, you still could get in my house, right? I can't keep you from I proved that in my right. Home. Yeah, Michael <laughs> does that all the time when he invites himself over. 
taking that kind of physical example into the digital world, it's kind of the same thing. Like it's in, in a way you're, you're protecting it, but people still could find a way in. But I think it's yeah. important for people to understand how sophisticated these options have got. So if we go back to this personal aspect, how much data you have, what kind of access you have, here's some examples I think of really popular cloud options. You've got Linode and NextCloud, of course, service set up. We're going to be doing some really cool stuff in the future shows with NextCloud specifically and comparing it to other services out there and like Google Workspace and other things and talking about the differences there. Then you've got Mega NZ, which is a very popular one for privacy enthusiasts out there. Although there are a lot of privacy enthusiasts now that don't think Mega NZ is as secure as it once was, or they don't like certain things about the company, but it's still considered one of the more private options. You got Google One and Google Workspace, which <laughs> it's Google. And then you got Tresserit. <laughs> Right. And this is a, yeah, this is a very popular one for privacy enthusiasts. You have lots of them, by the way. We're not going to be able to name them all, but you know, the other popular one would be Microsoft OneDrive. When I say popular, I literally typed popular storage solutions. (laughs) And these are the five that came up as the most popular options. So I know there's many others out there and please share them in our discourse forums for others that you like and you found that you think are really private. But these are the five popular ones based on a random search. I love uh, box.com. In fact, I started using them because of my HP touchpad. <laughs> oh, really? They gave you free space. Yeah, like 50 gigs free with that yeah. one. Yeah. I actually had, had been using box before that, but they gave a, a, lots of extra space. So I just keep adding to it and it's it's been a really good service. But I wanted to, uh, all our listeners and viewers to know, don't forget about the power of SneakerNet. Using flash drives or DVDRs is great for a backup solution too. I've <laughs> been yep. doing this all my life, and and that's a good way to you know make a backup on your flash drive and then take it over to a friend's house, you know, and have your important files offsite and yes. and put it in a safe. I mean that that's another thing you can do is put it in a friend's safe or or have a safe in another location. That's Michael, that's something me, that I've done. I think we should do this. Send me your personal files on a flash drive and I'll keep them safe for you. I won't yeah. go through them. I mm-hmm. I promise. Yeah. I will I will make sure they're encrypted. Uh, with the password Ryan don't touch this. <laughs> and for sure I'll send it to you no pro- no problem. Awesome. Thank you Mike. And- and there is something that I, I do. I use an outdated medium, uh, floppy disks. Of course you do, Jill. Oh, we know, Jill. I, this is the yes, ultimate. Nobody's going to have... hack Jill. Even the government's confused <laughs> when they try to get Jill's files. I, she I makes the sneaker have... net even harder. Yes. <laughs> floppy disks. Yeah, and I still have three, literally three floppy disks with all my passwords I've had since I've been a little kid on them. And I've got, you know, backups of those. But I have those in remote locations, too. <laughs> Well, I guess the whole point of the story is really this. If businesses are considering going to a more hybrid environment, I think we as personal users should too. I love my local solutions. I am not recommending anybody get rid of their home servers or go full cloud Mm -hmm. or anything like that. In fact, just the opposite. I think we should be mimicking what's going on in the business world. And you kind of utilize the best parts of a cloud service but also understand that there are limitations to it. For instance, if you don't have an internet connection, you're not going to be able to get to your cloud service. And oh, there yeah. are things that happen where internet could go down in big ways over cities and things because of natural disasters and other stuff. So you can't just mm-hmm. rely on a cloud solution, nor can you just rely on your local solution either. Yeah, I think intraday. the hybrid approach yeah. is the best way. And frankly, for me, I have access to a lot of the big cloud providers out there, the hyperscalers, but I like to stick with something a little more um, private cloud instances like on Linode or Mega or any of these other solutions. I usually combine a couple different ones in my case. To me, that's just the best option out there for me, but... I think it goes back to this whole, like this phrase that has been around for, I don't know, decades and decades or whatever. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Exactly. Like, that applies Diversify. to this in, uh, in in many ways because like, don't put it all in the same cloud. Maybe don't put it in the you know, cloud versus local. Like there's so many different ways you could have your data. And it's a good idea to just have a multiple s- setup because that way, if something goes bad in one of them, you're good to go to still keep your data. And there's nothing more annoying when you have your data that you are, you know, it's a photo of your family member or something like that, maybe your kids or something, and you lost that photo because of some 
silly mistake on like on your backups or something like that. Like that is so irritating. And when you do have a situation where like I did, I have a, I had a, pro- a backup problem probably four years ago. I still have not finished fixing that problem because of how much of a pain it is to get the data back. So I have the data sort of, but it's in this weird like recovery state uh, where all this data is in this massive folder and it's not, there's no, there's no file names. It's just random gibberish. And in order to actually go through all of it, you have to manually go through each one of these things. And that is taking so long, partly because it's just a mess and also because I don't want to. And eventually, the most important part. That's the most important part. Yeah. But at some point, (laughs) I'm going to. It just, I have no idea when, but I don't even know what's all in there. But I have found some pretty cool stuff that I hadn't, I forgot I even had years and years prior. So there's, you don't want to go through the process of trying to find things just because everything went to like a crazy mess. Just have a backup and whatever it is. And also, I think the hybrid solution is not only because the business are doing it, it's just, it just makes sense, you know, just, just having smart. local and having the cloud. Because the, the cloud offers a lot of value and having a, a file syncing like NextCloud attached to Linode being a solution for that is, I mean, it's just going to make your life easier in that way. Yeah. So about the cost of running servers, Jill, because we talked about a hybrid environment mm-hmm. and... Um, yeah. There's just a lot of cost to go get these blade servers and things set up <laughs> yes. and, and running. Yeah. So I've decided this year that I want to go into, and we'll probably dig into this in an episode because I think it'll be worthy, but I want to use mini PCs for my entire home Perfect. network solution. So right now I have the minis, uh, minis forum mini PC that yeah. runs Red Hat. And that powers my Pi-hole. That powers a local NextCloud instance. And I'm thinking of getting some additional mini machines that will run Jellyfin and some media servers and things for me, but all in the mini form factor. A lot less power consumption, a lot less heat, a lot and less space taken up. And you can <laughs> yeah. hook up your NAS storage to them as well, because I wanted to go low. I want to actually move away from the Synology NAS and do the local NAS, which I talked about in a previous episode. Um, so, and then have that transfer some of the stuff that, again, I don't want to lose a natural disaster of fire into a private cloud solution. And that will be my home network. But I find this mini idea of having a mini server, just not only is it conceptually cool, but my wife will appreciate it as well. Yeah, absolutely. And they're adorable. <laughs> and they're, they're so adorbs. cute. Yeah. So adorbs. adorbs. <laughs> you know what else is adorbs? Absolutely adorbs and necessary. And you can make it hybrid if you want. What's that? Bitwarden. Oh, yeah. Bitwarden. Yeah. Yeah, because you can host your own instance of Bitwarden if Absolutely. you want, or you can use their cloud-hosted instance of Bitwarden. Whatever you want, Bitwarden's there. They got you covered. And this episode, Destination Linux, is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash tux. That's slash T-U-X, and it's really important that you add that slash T-U-X so they know we sent you there. A password manager software allows you to have peace of mind knowing your online accounts are secure. Bitwarden provides you the tools to store all your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords and usernames for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to, which is a requirement for Michael since he creates 64-character passwords with special characters and numbers (laughs) and everything else that it... I have no choice. I have to have a password manager. Have to have and, it. and Bitwarden yeah. just happens to be amazing password manager. So <laughs> the best, the best. You can access best. your data across many types of devices: your web browser, mobile apps, desktop application, even the command line. Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it leaves your device, so you know you're the only person with access to your data. Go to bitwarden.com/tux to get started for free, but for just ten dollars a year. This is budgeted in for me forever for Bitwarden. It's one of the most critical applications for me because $10 a year, I get a gigabyte of encrypted file storage. And here's the 2FA, Jill, you were talking about with Mm -hmm. YubiKey. That's what I utilize as a protection into my Bitwarden account. Bitwarden even supports TUFA. Yes, TUFA. Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, Priority Customer Support, and so much more, less than a dollar a month. You spend more than that on coffee or if you're in Britain, tea. That's what they drink over there, right? Tea with something milk like that. in it, something yeah. like that. Go to bitwarn.com slash tux and get started. Thanks again to Bitwarn for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So in the intro, Ryan said that we're going to be talking about your next laptop. That's and right. based on this claim, you might be thinking, okay, Ryan, sure. 
how could you convince me? So we're going to see <laughs> if Ryan's statement is correct or if he was just exaggerating. Personally, he's correct. So let's talk about it. We're going to talk about the Framework laptop. And we talk about the Framework when it first came out. And we've mentioned it over the past couple of the years. I don't know when it's been enough, like a couple of years, two years, something like that. Yeah. If, if you're not familiar with the frameworks, you should be because they are very cool devices. And the next version is even next level on top of that. So to create some foundation for those who are not familiar with the frameworks, this is a laptop that is a modular system, meaning you can actually upgrade it yourself really easily. You can even swap out ports because they have these little cards that you can go in and out. So if you want an, a USB-C or you want an HDMI, you could just change the cards, you know, plug and play no problem. And you can even repair your own laptop. I know that's crazy. What? You can actually take it apart and they're okay with you taking it apart. Not only are they okay with it, they have QR codes attached to each part to tell you how to easily get access to the documentation or to get replacement parts. That is how much they care, which is, you know, crazy at the current state of how laptops are made these days. Now, I also saw this, there's something that's very important to Ryan, and I know you're gonna appreciate this, Ryan. They have a screen on their laptop that is not a 1080p screen. <gasps> I mean, know. They're not just crazy. using 1920 by 1080 cheapest screen they could find on the market <laughs> with zero color reproduction capabilities. What? This can't be a PC. It must be an Apple Mac. I know uh, that's gonna make a lot of you mad, but I ain't wrong. I yeah. ain't wrong. Yes. The Mac does have they put more effort into their screens every single time. And for some reason, PCs don't seem to care about that. But in this case, they also support uh, the hardware modules on Linux with their open source modules. And they also put a lot of effort to make sure that like it has an option for Linux by default. And at the next level event, they talked about some more upgrades that they're doing to their current lineup. But they also discussed a 16 inch version which oh, is mm. just it just looks to my so heart, good. Man. Yes. 16 inch is like oh, it's just the perfect, perfect size. size if you've played with a 16 inch laptop for replacing your desktop. I feel like yeah. it's the perfect Also, size. it depends like depending on your particular use case, I think 14 and 16 are the best and oddly enough, 17 inch is too big. Yes. 16 inch is. somehow oh. is not, but 17 <laughs> I love is, 17. <laughs> of course you do, Jill. You also you also have like 1700 computers. So <laughs> I think you just want another excuse Jill to get another Jill would haul around a server into a coffee shop. To yeah, she'd probably get a mainframe. To be honest, like, you know, a 17-inch laptops, I, yeah, they just have yeah. a bad rap because so many of them were so thick and ludicrously sized oh, yeah, yeah. that, yeah, you know, it's hard. But chunky. the 16-inch is a nice compromise. 17's good, too. 17 kind of got a bad rap out there just for how gigantic they were, especially in the PC market yeah. in the past. But, you know, the new 16-inch MacBooks are very, very popular. I like that they chose to kind of copy that form factor of 16-inch because I feel like Framework is the greatest PC to compete against MacBooks out there. And I say that because they're doing, unlike all the other manufacturers where you got Dell, what do they do? Oh, we're going to remove all the ports and just have USB-C too. Lenovo, same stuff. They just copy all the worst things that Apple does. We're going to make our RAM soldered onto our machines as well. And then you've got Framework who's like, let's take all of the dumb things that all of these other PC manufacturers are doing and copying Apple and let's not do that. Yeah. And so you have a fully upgradable, fully repairable, still thin magnificent screen, aluminum framed computer in which you can switch out modules for your ports anytime you want. You want a sound card with the headphone jack? No problem. Pop a module in, take out the USB-C module. You want two USB-Cs and one USB-A? No problem. Pop in those modules. Mm -hmm. Like it's so flexible what you can do with it, but that's not it. That's not where yeah. we're done here. They're taking it to the next level. And those of you who love hardware like I do and have been around the hardware world a long time, remember there were several laptops out there back in the day where you could actually change out and upgrade the GPU. Mm -hmm. This Crazy. was amazing. In fact, Matt on Linux Out Loud sent me one of his laptops to do one of the NVIDIA GPU swaps on it. And so it required a little bit of work, some thermal paste, some other things, but you could do it. You could swap it out. It wasn't soldered onto the motherboard. Well, Framework is building that or bringing that back, but they're bringing it back in a much better way to easily swap out discrete GPUs Wait, for the win. 
You're yep, saying yes, that absolutely. I know back in the day they were paying to do that, but that's possible. You're saying that it's now and their 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 goal is to make it where I can change out the part. Easily. Yeah, you yep. just just click it. It's a, I, it actually on the back of the laptop, and you just literally hit a button and it pops out, and then you can pop a new one back in. I mean, <laughs> when you talk about so they get rid of the CD tray. And replace it yeah. with a TPU tray, <laughs> which yeah. I'm good with. I'm That's good awesome. with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they, they really live up to their name of sustainability here. We all talk this talk, including myself. I'll put myself in this camp as well. We're like, mm-hmm. hey, I want a laptop that's upgradable. I want repairability. I want this stuff. But then we go buy the opposite, right? Because there's really no good options in any of the things. But you've got framework here who's like, hello, we are... We are here creating all the things everybody's saying that they want, and they don't look at Linux as a second-class citizen. In fact, in their document, their blog, where they talked about releasing this, they say this, the framework laptop 16 is meant to be a platform of possibilities. Whether you're a gamer, a developer, a heavy Linux user, creator, or other performance-demanding work, the Framework Laptop 16 is built to be customized to your needs. Why is that important? Because you can also get Framework with Windows on it. You can put Windows and other things on there. They could have gone the popular way and just said, hey, Windows users, come check this out. We got this awesome option for you. But they're talking about the fact that power Linux users are going after the Linux community. I want them to go after the Linux community because they open sourced a lot of these modules, input modules, expansion bay modules, and expansion expansion cards that they're going to allow other designers to go out there and create as well. So third parties can create components for this device. To me, this is the laptop of the future. This is everything that we said we wanted in a laptop. The original frameworks had some issues, not major issues, but some of the quality and things here and there and the speed wasn't really up to par with what people wanted. But this is utilizing this upgraded version, the latest CPUs, GPUs, and options out there. Framework 16 isn't available right now, but it's coming soon this year. And this will be on my list. I will own one of these machines for sure. Oh, absolutely, Ryan. So I think just just like what you were saying, Framework has nailed it. You know, it, it honestly, I think they made the perfect laptop for us Linux users. And yeah. now that it's a 16-inch, it makes me even happier because the 13-inch ones were a little small for me, you know, because my vision. So I'm really happy they made it, are making a 16 and bringing the ability to swap out discrete GPUs Get out of town. That's awesome. <laughs> that could be a total desktop replacement at that Absolutely. Point. I mean, that's Absolutely. why a lot of us keep our desktops around is because of that, hey, I need to expand things. And that expansion slot, by the way, is not just for GPUs. If you want, because it's direct access to the PCIe. So if you mm-hmm. want, you could use it to add a bunch of M2 storage devices to it. If you want to have a laptop with 20 terabytes of storage, you could probably create a module to do that or buy one of the pre-made modules because they specifically mention using as an expansion slot for graphics. So there will probably yeah. be a graphics expansion option there for that expansion-based system as well. I feel like the community has like asked for these kinds of things for so long that this company yeah. just see all, saw all of these requests and was just like, challenge accepted. Let's do it. Yes, let's it's do it. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and then if you look at the other design change that they're making, the input module system, Mm-hmm. Michael, we talked about the keyboards and stuff and how we all have different preferences. Well, this means that yeah. if you want to have a numpad, you can swap that yes. out on this device. You can The input module system allows you to hot swap different keyboard setups in. Maybe you need a numpad one week and the next week you really want bigger keys and a smaller form factor in there. You can do that. You like 50-50 split. Cool. You know, and, and different things, you could get one to do that. Small, medium, large, keyboard, color customization, RGB, no RGB, whatever type of module you want, you can swap out into this keyboard at any point that you want. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the, I, the only reason I don't like the <laughs> laptop I currently have, which is a very nice laptop from HP, the only thing I don't really like about it is the way they did the layout of the keyboard. Like, it, it's mm-hmm. it's like 95% great. And just that one little irritation, just remind, <laughs> yeah. every time I'm using the keyboard, it just reminds me that I don't like this keyboard. I don't like this keyboard. And if I could just swap it out, like the framework is saying, that's amazing. It's, yeah, it's that's amazing. amazing. Yeah. And you can actually even move the keyboard, you know, the main keyboard to one side of the laptop or another. So you could put the num- numpad key on the left side instead of the right side. I mean, it's it's really flexible. And then, or you could put the, the screen that shows all your, your processes running 
I mean, I, oh, Jill, I that's so a good impressed. point. They they yeah. mentioned specifically that you could have a mini screen as well yeah. as part of your keyboard. So a couple of oh, you can make your own like little touch bar that yeah. Mac has or yes. whatever. Yeah. Yes. Oh, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. I mean, <laughs> it, it, the the best thing about that idea is that you don't have to have a touch bar, but if you want one, you can. You, that's you cool. can. Or you yeah. don't have to use it as a touch bar. You could use it to give you stats or run some temperatures or things for your oh, machine yeah. or give you additional that's information. Cool. And they also open source the firmware for their keyboards using QMK keyboard software. So if you want to go in very there cool. and hack around with it and things, you can do that and do all the customizations and stuff you want. This is the keyboard we should be supporting. And I want to throw this out there. System76 uses Clevo design laptops currently. System76 needs to partner with Frameworks and make a System76 oh, yes. oh, version absolutely. of the Framework laptop. Absolutely. System76 absolutely. could change the game by getting involved with this here. Good Instead idea. of working with Clevo, work with them and take this design and put that System76 flair on it. Oh my gosh, would you have something special here? Yeah, that's that'd be a, that's a great idea. And also, I think the framework system, like they're even saying that they want to do partnerships with these kinds of things where it's not just their one device that has these access to all the different modules and the cards and whatnot. And if there was more companies partnering with Framework to make this happen, that I mean, that's 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 a fantastic idea, Michael. I challenge you to see if mm. we could partner with Framework and have a Tux digital laptop. I mean, you're good oh at marketing. God, make it happen, Michael. <laughs> like you just have those conversations with them. Tell them we will yeah. use all of our amazing. Oh, I got audiences. an idea. I got an idea. There was oh. also this. If we're we're gonna make our own laptop, we're gonna have our own custom keyboard. And I'm thinking, what if we did? The, we took the idea that the Onion had, where we take the iPod Circle Wheel and make that the keyboard. That that sounds amazing, right? Okay. That sounds terrible, and nobody would buy that, Michael. <laughs> oh. My idea, people oh, would see. buy. And here's my idea: on the mini screen below your main screen, it just constantly plays the next episode of Destination Linux. Oh, over perfect. And you can't do it there with anything go. else with that screen, but watch <laughs> the next episode of Ooh, Destination Linux. Oh, how about this? What if every key is replaced with a small screen, and in, when they're not typing, every key is a different episode of Destination Linux? Oh, man. Whoa. Who wouldn't want that? That's exactly. the question you should That's ask. Perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. And something else Framework has just done with their Framework laptop 13-inch is they just came out with the AMD Ryzen 7040 uh, series processor. Woo-hoo! Yes. So yes. Yep. I'm sure that's going to roll over to the 16-inch. <laughs> yeah. And I think they sold out of the AMD really quickly because I remember yes. a tweet by them that said, I guess you guys really did want an AMD version of this laptop, <laughs> Absolutely. which was really funny. So yeah, yeah that, like that was that. a really good move on their part. So Jill, you go get this laptop, the 16-inch, you put a new GPU in it, you want to play a game on it. Do you have a game this week that people should be playing on their new framework? Ah, absolutely, Ryan. Neenix Cosmic War- Warfare. N-I-E-N-I-X. Nanu Cosmic Nanu? Warfare. Nanu Nanu. Nanu Yes, uh, this would be a great game to play on your framework laptop. With over 157 very positive reviews... This game describes itself like this. Search for the legendary lost artifact Neenix through galaxies in conflict. It's an open world space action RPG adventure that can be played both alone and together. That's really cool to have an R- RPG that you yeah. can play uh, multiplayer online. <laughs> it's it's really awesome. And, you know, the the campaigns actually can be played co-op with up to six players and deathmatch and team-based uh, person versus, versus person combat is available for up to Michael? 40 players. Yes. I was really impressed I'll by this. So Michael we, we, as soon as I get in the game. Yeah, we can definitely uh, play this with our, with our patrons. This would be yeah. a lot of fun. And this game f- features physics-based bullet combat and action role-playing game progression. It has hundreds of unique items and abilities, and then you can then mod these abilities to suit your needs. And uh, you can play as a tiny fighter or a massive battleship. I'll be a massive battleship. Michael will be a tiny <laughs> fighter. Tiny fighter. Yep. Yeah, 
or you can have your own fleet. Like I would like to. Have oh, jeez, Joe, Joe one up to us all. She left that one for the end, didn't she? I didn't know we had a fleet option. Savage. Yeah, we have Jeez. to have to have those marching penguins. <laughs> and uh, it's just, it's. I was really impressed with this game. It's got awesome music, beautiful graphics, a really fun story, and. And really good controls. On the keyboard, you can use WASDA to move and the mouse to steer and shoot. And it works great on the Steam Deck with the Steam Deck controller. So nice. it, it works on everything out of the box. And you can buy it on Steam for only $19.99. Or they even have a demo you can download and play and try it out. I always appreciate a demo. You know, they know they got a good game when they do a demo. That's yep. when you know yeah, exactly. the game's yeah. going to be good. When they got the free demo out there, they're like, no, nah, we know you're going to love it. So here, go ahead and play a couple uh, minutes or hour of the game and then go ahead and hit that purchase button. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. And even better, it supports our Linux penguins out of the box. <laughs> Always right. makes me that's, happy. <laughs> that's a nice game to have with your Frameworks laptop is playing like a space RPG. That, to me, seems oh, like yeah. heaven. That may be the first moments when I get my Frameworks laptop. I'm going to stream it live, and that's going to be the first game I'm going to play on there. Yeah. Well, you know, the Framework laptops also have um, halfway decent sound system in them, too. I was really no, impressed by that. No, that's not possible. It's a PC. <laughs> How is that what? possible? Yeah. It's crazy talk, Jill. Hey, yeah. Ryan, do you know what ge- what game I'm going to play that when I first get my Framework laptop? What? Rocket League. Oh, Rocket League. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why did I why did I answer that as if it was going to be a real, <laughs> you know, question that you were asking me? Of course it's Rocket League. Uh, yeah, of course it, it, you should have known. You should have done. Yeah. yeah, I'll be playing Trackmania. <laughs> So in our software spotlight, one of our listeners, Mark of Kane, put this software spotlight on our radar. It's called Whisper. And Whisper is a general purpose speech recognition model. No, it's called Whisper, Michael. I didn't say you had to whisper. Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry, Ryan. No, no, you don't. Guys, you don't have to whisper. The software is called Whisper. Whisper is a general purpose speech recognition model. It is. That's really good, Michael. It's a general purpose speech recognition model, and it can be trained on large data sets of diverse audio, and it's also a multitasking model that can perform multilingual speech recognition, speech translation, and language identification. So plain text, plain text with timestamps, video text tracking, sub-rip subtitle files, works with dozens of languages, has automatic language detection, can be run from the command line, punctuate sentences correctly, which Michael can't even do. It can even translate a transcription. You can feed it a video or audio file in another language, say Japanese, and it will produce an English transcription of that. You can check out our discourse forum where Mark of Cain goes into some details of some of the cool things that he's doing with this, but really awesome, powerful software. This sounds really interesting. I can't wait to check it out. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> yeah, thank you, Mark of Cain. <laughs> That's a very good suggestion. Thank you, Mark. It's so sweet. I don't know why I'm still whispering. Why is it sweet? It's just It's not sweet. It has no taste. <laughs> Speaking of taste, I guess. <laughs> the tip of the week's t- very tasty this week. <laughs> and that is, we're going to be talking about something you can do on Linode, and that is create your own cPanel. And it's really easy to do. I that. know everything there need to know about cPanel. Here's Go what ahead. I do, folks. Uh. If you want to set up cPanel, what I do is I message Michael and say, "Hey, Michael, can you go into the web stuff and do that thing that you Just do, do the thing you do stuff?" And <laughs> that's it. That's all you have to do. That's yeah, yeah. exactly. That's all oh, you have to do is, is contact me, and then I do it for you. <laughs> that's how it works. Uh, but, uh, so cPanel is a fantastic way to manage your uh, systems. If you're doing a web uh, website and you want to have all, all sorts of different features, it has the ability to do uh, file management. It has email control. You can uh, easily switch your DNS settings and so much more with cPanel. It is one of the best, mm-hmm. uh, if not the best way to interact with a web server and it's been around for many, many years. And the reason we want to talk about it here is because it's really easy to set up with Linode. There is a quick, you know, one-click app from their marketplace that you can easily set it up. And the reason why I want to talk about it is because cPanel for a very long time was very expensive, as uh-huh. in thousands yeah. of dollars yeah. a year. It was so expensive. And when Ryan pointed this out, it was on the marketplace, I was like, oh, really? Is that 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 seems 
kind of odd because those those license fees are really high. Then I went and looked. They now have a license fee that's completely reasonable, like $16 a month starting point. And they also have like different tiers and stuff, like depending on how many instances you want. But the uh, the power that cPanel offers is just crazy, where you have backups, logs, uh, analytics, stuff like that. It even supports third-party extensions to make it even better. So cPanel is a ridiculously good thing that I've been using for so long. I can tell you the other options that are, are competitive to cPanel, but I'll just say it. cPanel is clearly the best option. And I, I've pro- it's probably been like 20 years since I've been using cPanel, and I don't ever want to not use cPanel. At, this is too much of a glowing review of cPanel, so if that y'all y'all better sponsor our show. Just say, yeah, there you go, cPanel. And Michael, <laughs> I used it for my animation business years ago. In fact, I, I still have my accounts with them. Uh, and uh, oh mm-hmm. boy, I even ho- I hosted a web web server and a, a mail server with Squirrel Mail. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I used Squirrel Mail and Ho- yeah. Horde and uh, yeah, Horde Round Cube and, 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 and all Cube and yeah. Yeah, there's so <laughs> like cPanel can do so much, and if you are looking for something that you want a really easy one click access to from the marketplace from Linode. This is a great way to do it. And also, even if you're just curious of what the difference is between what you currently have versus what cPanel offers, then this is a good way to do that too. And you get to take advantage of the power of Linode. Absolutely. So for events, we have some events that you need to put on your calendar. We have Seagull. C-G-L. Yes. The planning for that is underway. There's a call for participation to help run the hybrid conference in November. So check out the links in the show notes for that. There's also calls for presentations as well. And we have FOSS Asia coming on April 13th through the 15th. Again, we'll have a link in the show notes. And Grazer Linux Taj. Linux Tog. Linux Tog. Linux Tog. Every time I see this, it always makes me think laser tag for some reason. Every time. <laughs> Razer Linux Tag is April 14th and 15th in Graz, Austria. Talks in German. So you probably want to know nice. German nice. to really get something out of that. But those are the events Der Hans has sent. And big thanks to Der Hans for always keeping our community in the know of all of the events happening around with Linux. And a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. You can come join us on our Discord at tuxdigital.com slash Discord. And every once in a while, if you join... You might hear from Michael and me, and you might hear from Jill, too. That's the big catch That's there. really yeah. what's the, the value, yeah. for sure. Also, you can join us on our forum, tuxdigital.com slash forum, to have conversations with, whether you, you like real-time conversations or you like the long kind of conversations you can like have both. over the course of dates. Like, of course, there's, that's when we have both. We give you the option to pick Man, and choose awesome. or do both. So many great things. So tuxdigital.com slash discord and tuxdigital.com slash forum. But maybe you want to watch this show live. You I can do. do that. You, uh-huh. you, oh, you do, Ryan. That's that's. I want to watch it live. That's, that's very convenient fun. that you would want to watch it live. But if you want to do that, all you got to do is become a patron, Ryan. That's it. Just okay. go to tuxdigital.com slash contribute, and you can become a patron and be able to watch this show being recorded live every wow. Sunday. In fact, we have our glorious patrons with us right now. Mm-hmm. They're watching it, and right after the show, we're going to be hanging out with them in the patron-only post show, which happens every week after the show. And you can join that, too, by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute and becoming a patron, Ryan. I'm going there right now, Michael. Perfect. Yeah, and you can talk to NicoJet and Tux and, and Arian right now. <laughs> for sure. And also, Jill, if you wanted to become a patron, you could get unedited versions of the show. <laughs> yes, every, absolutely. Every, every episode, we release you mean, unedited versions. I don't versions. have to be here live. I can actually still get the unedited <laughs> version exactly. of the show, which is completely different than the edited version that other people get because we have a bunch of all of our you know outtakes and conversations in between things that other people don't hear. I exactly. can get access to that, Michael. Get that access to all. All of that by becoming a patron yeah. at tuxedo.com. I'm on my contribute. way. Get and so much more because it's not just being a patron to Destination Linux. You're a patron to the entire network, so you get so much more cool stuff mm. when you go to tuxedo.com slash contribute and become a patron. So, But also, maybe you're thinking, I am a patron already, Michael. What, are, what else could I do? Well, you could go to tuxedo.com slash store and pick up some awesome swag. We have t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, coasters, hats, and so much more at tuxedo.com slash store. 
And make sure to check out all our incredible shows here on Text Digital. We talked about the pseudo show earlier. To go and listen to the last episode, it was about cloud repatriation. We have This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and our virtual Linux user group, Linux Saloon. And everyone head to textdigital.com and subscribe to all these incredible shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody, have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks, Kirk. Kirk out. Nice, Ryan. Why are you talking like this? I said Kirk out. Like but Kirk. You know, Kirk. I see. Kirk out. Like I see. Would talk Captain's log. Everybody. Thanks for watching, everyone. Week. We and will remember. see you next week for another episode of Ryan being weird. So, yeah, that's why people tune in. Exactly. Well, I mean, we're all weird, I guess. I mean. That's the value. <laughs> we hang out so, together because we're weird. Exactly. Just yeah. perfect, like perfect mesh. And also, so those who are curious... They're was not. there something extra to watch in the unedited version just right after we said to watch it? Yes. 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 Ryan gave us a great Ryan golden piece of content. Perfect it, in his ending. And Michael complimented me, and so did Jill, and said, Amazing job. And I said, Thank you. So yes. I spoiled Aww. it for you guys. But and that's if you're what curious if, if that's true or not, feel free I, to become a patron and go to tuxedo.com slash contribute to get the real information.